Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. Today we are studying in the book of Acts, chapter 18. Here's Pastor Ryan. So in Acts chapter 18, we'll be beginning in verse 9. Paul the Apostle is in that great city of Corinth in modern-day southern Greece. Beautiful Corinth, but Corinth, as you know, was known as a very sinful city. It was known for its temple prostitution. The worship of Aphrodite was prominent in that city. It was the capital for the Roman Empire in Achaia, in that province of Greece. That that was where the Romans set their capital. The Lord has taken Paul there on his second missionary journey. And he's there with Paul, with, with Silas and Timothy. It was there that he met a, a Jewish couple named Aquila and Priscilla, who had recently been thrown out of Rome because Claudius Caesar in his anti-Semitism, kicked out all the Jews out of Rome. And so Paul just met this couple. No doubt they came to know the Lord and they worked together. They were tent makers. So we see that Paul the Apostle was not just a, the amazing preacher and missionary for the Lord, but he also wasn't afraid to work with his hands. He was a man that worked when he had to work. And at other times, the churches would take care of his needs. I love that example that we have in Paul the Apostle. They were tent makers. And we're told that in Corinth, Paul went into the synagogue every Sabbath and he reasoned with both the Jews and the Greeks concerning Jesus Christ, that he is indeed the Messiah. We are told that the Jews eventually opposed him and they blasphemed the name of the Lord. Paul shook off his garments against them as a sign. He just shook off the dust off his garments and told them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from now on. I am going to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered uh, the house of a certain man named Justice. He lived next door to the synagogue. And so he stayed with him. And then the uh, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, actually came to faith in Jesus Christ himself, and he and both were baptized. Then the Lord had to encourage Paul, as we read last time we were together, the Lord had to encourage Paul the Apostle because Paul the Apostle was apprehensive, he was perhaps worried about the persecution that may come his way because the Lord was doing such a mighty work in Corinth that usually when the Lord moves that way, Paul was used to being persecuted. And many in Corinth were coming to the Lord. And so the Lord told Paul in the night vision, Paul, do not be afraid to speak. Keep speaking. He goes, for I have many in this city. Wow, in that sinful city, the Lord had many who would come to know him. And that church in Corinth would be would be built and be strong, but he worried. And I just love how the Lord was there for him to encourage him to keep speaking, keep preaching. And he stayed a year and a half there teaching the word of God. And so we begin there in verse 12. When Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul 
and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. And so the religious Jews, they arrest Paul and they take him to the judgment seat. They take him to the governor, the Roman governor, Galileo. And Galileo's a Roman governor and, you know, not very interested in the religious laws of, of the Jews here. And right before Paul was about to give his defense, Galileo steps in and he tells the religious Jews, look it, you know, I, I'm not interested in this matter. Now, why would he? He's a Roman governor. Like, who cares about their religious laws? You, you can't blame the guy. Historians say about Galileo that he was a very kind and amiable and gracious governor. He was kind. He was reasonable, amiable, but he wasn't willing to hear this case because he didn't want to get in matters that he felt uh, didn't really concern him, and they didn't. This is a, a civil governor here, a, a civil, you know, they're bringing him before a civil judge where this is a religious matter, but they want Paul to be punished nonetheless, but he would not hear what they would say, he would not hear the case. But the historians say he was a very kind Roman ruler, Roman governor. The historians would also write that this kind governor, Galileo, would eventually end up killing himself. You can't stop to think what would have happened had he taken the case and listened to Paul's defense. What would have Paul the apostle have said to him? He would have preach the gospel to this Galileo. Would he have not? Of course he would have. Every time he gave a defense, it was sharing of the, his Messiah, Jesus Christ. But Galileo was a kind and reasonable man. And it gets us really, it gets me thinking to how many kind and reasonable people there are in this world who will not consider the case of Jesus Christ who to them Christianity, faith in Jesus Christ, to them it seems trivial. It seems something that is for the poor and the weak-minded. It's for them. It's good for, it's good for the suffering. But there's so many kind, reasonable people who think it's trivial, who think it's not sophisticated enough for them. And I wonder how many good and reasonable people are going to end up in hell and not go to heaven because they think Jesus Christ and his gospel message to be a trivial and simple thing. I'm reminded of when Jesus turned to his disciples in Luke 10, in verse 23 and 24. He turned to his disciples privately, and he said, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear, and have not heard it. Is that, 
aren't those beautiful words that he said to them? Like, you get it. You see what kings and prophets have desired to see, but have not seen it. The gospel is for anyone who will receive it. Anyone who is humble enough to be over themselves, to believe what God says concerning their sinful state, that they need a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that if you put your faith in him and what he did on the cross in taking your place for your sins, if you believe that, and on the third day he was raised from the dead, if you believe that, then you shall be saved. You shall have eternal life and all your sins shall be forgiven. People from all walks of life have accepted his message, but there are still some very reasonable but unreasonable people out there who may be kind and good citizens and they pay their taxes, they're great neighbors, but at the end of the day, because they think Jesus Christ and his message to be trivial, they'll end up in hell. Don't get me wrong, according to man's standards, there are so many good people in hell. In their self-sufficiency, in Psalm 49, verse 6, it says, Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls is costly. And it shall cease forever that he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit. For he sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like a beast that perishes. Galileo ends up taking his life. Here he was, a successful Roman governor, the capital of the province of Achaia, he ends up taking his life. Because life without God, without Jesus Christ, is empty. It's unsatisfying. Nothing on this planet can satisfy but Jesus Christ. In Mark 10, 25, Jesus will say, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I would say that concerning many, many, many intellects in this world who are too smart for their own good and because of their higher education they think it's too trivial or simple to believe in the fantasies of Christians. That's how they, that's how they think. That's what they say. Not all. C.S. Lewis, Oxford teacher, atheist, came to know Jesus Christ. So it's hard but not impossible. As the Lord told Peter, with God, all things are possible. And it's cool to see super smart people get in sometimes. <laughs> in verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. Right? Why shouldn't he remain? Galileo did nothing to him, so he stayed a little while longer in Corinth. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. And he had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And so we see here that Paul shaved his head. Not because he thinks it's a better haircut, but because he took a vow before the Lord. And the vow, no doubt, is the Nazarite vow that we read about in the Old Testament, that that the Jews would make. It was a vow where they would fully commit themselves to the Lord in taking this vow for a certain period of time. 
And in number six, it tells us that they were to shave their head and keep away from anything that grew from a grapevine. Anything. Raisins, grapes, wine. You weren't to touch dead bodies. Even if your parents were to pass away during the time of the vow, you could not attend to their bodies, basically. Samson, in the Old Testament, we know was a lifelong Nazarite. He took that Nazarite vow. In Judges 13, the Lord had spoken to Samson's mother, saying to her, Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from birth, from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Samson's life was going to be a life that was a life of commitment to God. Paul the Apostle didn't have to take this commitment because we're in Christ. We're right in Christ. Amen. But just, I don't know, being a Jewish boy, he just liked the old school and did it. And it's cool for Paul as long as he doesn't make doctrine out of it that we all have to shave our heads and, and do what he's doing. But the Nazarite vow spoke of full commitment to God. And that's the heart of Paul. Paul wanted... I mean, you think about how commitment, we're reading about this guy's life. He seems committed, doesn't he? But in his own heart, he wants more commitment. What a humility within Paul to say, man, Lord, I need more. I'm not as committed as I'd like to be, but I need to be committed more. Paul's actions here remind me that I need to be more committed. And I, I hope it reminds you this morning about a need to be more committed to the Lord. Perhaps committed like we used to be a fully committed person is a very powerful weapon in the hand of the lord god does mighty things when we fully commit ourselves to to the lord and you know that can simply be a prayer lord i give you my life fully as a living sacrifice i give you my all again can you speak to me what you want me to do I'll do it. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm, I'm fully just a prayer. And the Lord knows how hard it is for us to give ourselves because of our flesh. And he accepts that prayer and begins to move in our hearts spiritually to get us to the place, man. We're really moving and doing things we never thought we would before. Because the Holy Spirit gets us to do things that are above our pay scale, above our own strength, above our own intellect, above our own abilities. That's what God does. He uses us to do things where people see him using us and they think that has to be God because I, I know you don't have that in your... Exactly, I don't. It's God. But it begins with the prayer of commitment to the Lord. And he does great things. But a person who's not fully committed to the Lord is a not going to be a strong tool in God's hands. A person who isn't fully committed is a weak Christian. Now, I don't want to be a weak Christian. I want to be fully committed. There's no way around it. I know that doesn't sound nice. I know I'm tripping some people out, maybe upsetting some people, but it's true. If we're not fully committed, are we truly strong in the Lord? When the Bible says be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, what is it saying? But be committed to him. So that he can use you powerfully. He goes about to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect or loyal or committed to him. 
That's who he shows himself strong to. Commitment is everything, guys. And when we are not committed, then we are weak. In Judges 16, remember? When the Philistines were trying to find out the strength of Samson's power, using Delilah to, to trick him, and he told Delilah in Judges 16 all that was in his heart. He said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. What's powerful to me about his words was the last few words. Like, if this commitment is gone, then I will be weak like any other man. Too many Christians today are living weak. They are living like any other man. What do, you, what do I mean by any other man? I mean like, like men who have never experienced the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I speak of men who have never tasted God's miracles in their life. Men who have never tasted God's strength, God's love, God's mercy, God's power, or have studied God's word. And too many Christians are behaving weak like men who are average men in light of Christians who have the Son of God as their King and their Lord and the Holy Spirit who's powerful that raised Him from the dead living inside them. Too many are living like average men. Too many Christians have forgotten the vow that they made to God. The Bible says the vows made to you, Lord, are binding. I mean, we can't even get into heaven without a vow, right? We can't even get in without faith in Christ. One word... Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I assure you this day you shall be with me in prayer. We have to believe it in our hearts that Jesus is who he is, that he died for our sins on the cross and rose on the third day. We have to believe that and put our trust in him to get saved. And that, and that comes from confession. And if you can't speak within your heart, you say it, Lord, I'm yours. I tap out, I believe in you, I'll, I will follow you. That's the vow that we all made. And when we made it, we were weeping, some of us. We, we were convulsing in, in, in joy and sadness. That, my goodness, I should have made this commitment years ago. I made this vow that I will follow you, Jesus, to the depths of hell and back. Now, people have forgotten their covenant, I believe. All they do is worry about their own lives. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Isn't that what average men think about? People who have not experienced Jesus Christ. All they think about is the, the, the well-being of their lives. Not only is it, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Now it's, is it safe? Is it sanitized? Will I get sick and die? All I can say is we can only sanitize as much as we can in this fallen world. I'm sorry, we live in a world of germs. But God says, do not forsake the assembling of one another as is the manner of some. Dr. Fauci is not the Messiah. Jesus Christ is. And he commands us to come together and he commands us to greet one another with a godly loving kiss. In Revelation 12, 11, it says that they overcame him. That's the devil. By the, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives to the death. They did not love their lives to the death. Philippians 1.21, Paul would write, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that, was that not the heart of our vow? 
I will live and die for you, Jesus Christ. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just take away my sin. Give me a new heart. Save me, Lord, and I'll do anything. How many people touched him? The woman who bled for 12 years touched the hem of his garment. Paul the Apostle, when he knew his time was coming, he was going to be martyred for the Lord. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22 through 24, he says he, to, the, to the Ephesian elders, he would say, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He knew he was going to die and said, I don't care because for the Lord I will die. When we came to the Lord, did we not hearken Paul's teaching in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every man dies, but not every man lives. I would rather, if I'm going to die, I would rather die doing what my Savior commands me to do. So help me, God. If he says to meet, then we're going to meet. I get it. We all did it for a month, month or two. I get it. That, I feel, was the right thing to do. But once all the information was out, we saw the politicizing of the medical field. Then, you know, testing all things, we started meeting again. And being reminded of the enemy who is the prince of the air. That's, that's what he's referred to by God. The prince of the air. The airwaves, the TV, the media. He's a liar and he's been a liar from the beginning. We're Christians. We're not like other men who are not Christians. Other men, can, can they don't have to walk circumspectfully. They can walk as fools. Other men. We cannot afford that. The Bible says to test all things. That he sends us out as sheep amongst wolves. That he sends us out and he tells us to be wise as serpents but gentle as doves. And if their lives are so important, then why are believers going to restaurants now? Why are they going on long walks now? Why are they not going to church but doing those things? Like my flesh doesn't want to just kick back? Of course our flesh wants to kick back. Our flesh is on the side of Dr. Fauci who says get vaccinated but still stay away what are they saying you know i came to the lord when the time was right i got saved but i believe that god preserved my life to this very day to this very sunday but what i'm saying to you is before i ever came to know jesus christ he was he had his hand of protection upon me how much more so does he not have his hand of protection on us I mean, if you read this book, your faith will increase. If you read less of it and you watch more news and politicians, and unfortunately a lot of those medical guys are politicians as well, you're, I get it. You're going to want to stay at home. The flesh is going to say, yes! Couch, TV, food. What else? Money? I read my Bible. I'm sorry. But I'm not here for numbers. God didn't save me to preach so that you would like me or I would have friends. I'm glad if you do, and I'm glad if you're my friend. But God has called me to make disciples. 
I need to make disciples. That's what our church is about. You know, all these seeker-friendly churches, they have all of these vision statements. We're just teaching the word and making disciples. That's our vision statement, okay? If you need a vision statement, you want to be more like a business and, you know, Burger King, we have it your way. We're a church, man. We're teaching the Bible. You tell them we don't need a slogan. We don't need, we have a church verse. That's about it. I look to the hills from hence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121. He went to Ephesus and he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews in Ephesus. So Paul is in Ephesus on his way back, second missionary journey. Paul, if you remember back in Acts chapter 16, really wanted to go to Ephesus. But the Holy Spirit had had said no. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 10 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicolette Street in Banning. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and just hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. Chapin, above.